0: Scripture passage for today comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning with the first verse. On the third day, there was a wedding in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good one at first, and then the inferior one after the guests had become drunk. (laughs) But you kept the good one until now. Jesus did this. The first of his signs in the Cana of Galilee revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. We thank you for our students this day, O God, through whom you pour your Spirit. And we are grateful, O Lord, for your word, through whom you pour your Spirit we are grateful for these words to come and pray that by your grace they would point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in jesus the christ for we pray this in his name amen when i was a senior in high school i was captain of the high school basketball team it turned out to be the worst basketball team in the high school's history which you may have surmised as soon as you learned that I was the captain of it. <laughs> what was it the Groucho Marx said that he would never join a club that would have him as a member? The 1976 Lakeview basketball team was somewhat of a reflection of its captainship. A perfect example of this came when we were playing our crosstown rivals. It's always a big deal when you're playing your crosstown rivals. I was the point guard in our offense, which meant that I was the guy who was most definitely not supposed to shoot. My job was to pass, my job was to get others to shoot, my my job was to bring the ball up the court. I think the coach said to me at one point, McConnell, the only time you shoot is when there are absolutely no other options. No surprise then that I averaged about five points a game. So we're playing our cross time town rivals. It's nearing the end of the first half, and it's one of those weird sort of scrums where the ball kind of gets tipped from here to there, from guy to guy, then all of a sudden it ended up in my hands, and before me, ten feet away from the basket, was an opportunity for an uncontested shot. For a split second, I wondered if this was one of those, you know, no other options, McConnell opportunity. So I said, What the heck? I leapt up into my best jump shot form set my eyes on the target, let go of the ball, and as the ball left my hand, the next thought that passed through my mind was i 'm not sure that 's our basket <laughs> and you know when they say the time slows down when you 're in the process of an irredeemable act, well, it took about thirteen hours for that ball to make it to the basket during which my high school life flashed in front of my eyes once. The ball got to the basket. It did what most of my shots did. It caromed harmlessly off the side of the rim. Once play came to a halt, I became the laughing stock of the gymnasium. Our arch rivals were laughing. Our home team was laughing. Heavens, my cheerleader girlfriend was laughing. The halftime buzzer would not sound soon enough. Later that evening, when I got home, my father, who had witnessed this brilliant move on the part of his son, sat me down and said something close to this. Son, he said, there's nothing I can say that will make you feel better. All I can say is tonight is one of those nights that builds character. (laughs) I had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) If tonight is one of those nights that builds character, then I'll take a pass on character. I'm still not entirely sure what he meant by that comment, except to say that your life and mine are filled with moments when it just didn't go our way. We didn't win the game. We didn't pass the test. We didn't get into the school of choice. We didn't get the job. We didn't get the girl or the boy. We didn't achieve the goal. My first trial sermon at seminary, the professor in so many words said that it was the worst sermon he had ever heard preached from a Christian pulpit. If that builds character, then I'll take a pass on character. And yet, it is what life brings, right? Life brings the mountaintops and the valleys. Life brings the sharp turns in the road. Life brings great disappointment. To paraphrase that great theologian John Lennon, life is what happens when you've made other plans. So maybe the character part comes, and when we try to understand what to do with these inevitable moments, how are these moments woven into our lives? What taste will they give to our future? Victor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor and author of Man's Search for Meaning, said that, he was a, that when he was experiencing the human degradation of the death camps, the pivotal thought that changed his whole journey through such awfulness was the idea that it no longer mattered what he expected from life. What mattered was what life expected from him. He had to give up his longing for the idyllic life and understand that a meaningful life is lived in response to the unexpected and oftentimes disappointing and sometimes tragic moments we all face. Frankl said that we must see ourselves as those being questioned by life. It's not what we expect from life that matters. It's what life expects from us. Maybe that's what's at hand and this little wedding taking place in the little town just down the road from Nazareth, the town of Cana in Galilee. There's nothing to suggest from John's account that this is a wedding of any note. This is no society nuptial, just a common village couple tying the knot with family and townsfolk reception to follow. Wedding receptions in first century Palestine, as we learn, stretched not over hours, but days. This was just one big excuse for one big long party. Food, music, wine were all the ways to rejoice in God, the God of love and family and creation. Shops shut down, children pause from their studies, life gets gets put on hold for a bit while we celebrate the goodness of two become one. But then life is what happens when you've made other plans. The wine runs out. The elixir of life has run dry. And in Palestine that means the party is over. The band packs up, the caterers clear the tables, and the bride is left weeping in the corner. This may be a no-name wedding, but that doesn't mean the tragedy is less felt. Something has to happen. So the appeal goes to the only one named in the story, the rabbi Jesus from up the road who just happens to be at the wedding Do something, his mother says. Do something, redeem this thing, build some character, transform this tragedy. And we know how the story goes. Jesus orders some available stone jars to be filled with water. He asks for the water to be taken to the wine steward, the resident sommelier, and the sommelier tastes the water and it falls upon, what falls upon his palate is the nectar of the gods the nectar of the gods, and not just any nectar, oh, but the good stuff, the really good stuff. Now, I'm no wine expert, I know wine like I play basketball, but they say that the really good stuff has what they call character. A wine that has character is a wine that tells its own story. A good wine, a really good wine, is a wine that reveals its influences, the wine's response to the influences of its own environment. A good sommelier, when she states a good wine, can tell you where the grapes were grown, the climate and quality of the weather, all the living things with which it came in contact, microbes, insects, animals, barrels. Oh, some really good wines cannot help but tell all of what has happened to them so jesus saves the day when he turns water not just into wine but wine with character the good stuff the stuff that has managed to take the good and bad of its own story to become something that coats the tongue with richness and grace Vinify is what we call the process of winemaking, the process that begins with soils and vines and grapes and sun and rain and growing and picking and crushing and fermenting and bottling and aging. All the good stuff has been vinified. The good stuff has been produced by the master vintner who has woven all the tangibles and intangibles, the planned and unplanned, into a character that tells its own gracious story. So the vintner arrives in Cana of Galilee and sees before him a sudden change of plans, rain on a wedding day, empty barrels, and wonders how we can turn all this into something rich, something full-bodied, something with some character. And sure enough, the wine that he ends up with is telling its story even today. We are talking about this wine even today. The longer it ages, the better it tastes. Did you notice that when Jesus gets asked to do something, he starts with what they already have, and then he turns it into something richer. Jesus doesn't just snap his fingers and bottles of wine appear in the racks. Jesus asks for what they have, And what they have is just some water. But water is always where wine begins, right? No water from the heavens, no vines from the earth, no grapes from the vine. So Jesus asks for what they have, and he turns it into something, something of character. And don't you wonder if John tells us the story to wonder what a life might look like if the rabbi from Nazareth is present with the stuff we have. Jesus doesn't just snap his fingers and create ex nihilo. Jesus is some magician that takes... This is, Jesus is not some magician that takes all the bad stuff away. Jesus doesn't snap his finger and take the ball out of the 17-year-old hands before his boneheaded shot. Jesus takes what we have, what we've done, and vinifies it, makes it into something. When I'm given the privilege of performing a wedding, somewhere along the way in preparation and counseling, I tell them that one of the secrets of wedding planning is knowing that something is going to go wrong. I even mention sometimes the Cana from the wedding from Cana, just as an example. I tell the bride and groom, and often the bride's mother, that every wedding has something that does not go as planned. This is one of the reasons why I'm never asked to be a motivational speaker. So I tell them, don't live under the illusion of perfection. Expect the unexpected, and then when the wrong thing happens, you can say, oh, look, there was that thing that was supposed to go wrong which leads me to the story of the wedding I did many moons ago and things went off without a hitch everybody did their part to perfection all systems go it all came together apparently proving my theory wrong until until after the wedding when the bride and groom were greeting their guests outside the church in the receiving line, and someone with a cigarette got close enough to the bride that an ash from a cigarette made its way to the front of the bride's very expensive silk dress, and there were <clears throat> and on the front billows a hole was born burned the size of a dime. Right there for all to see, pictures still to be taken, and a reception still to attend. You can imagine into what orbit this would send most brides. But to my surprise, when the receiving line was done, it came, in came the bride into the sanctuary and a half trot down the aisle exclaiming, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, look, here's what went wrong. That's not so bad. <laughs> and it makes me wonder if the vintner had been at work changing water Into wine, oh good wine, wine with character. Malcolm Mugridge, that great essayist, social critic, late convert to the faith, when he reached the end of his life and looked back he had this to say, contrary to what might be expected I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful. I look back on those experiences with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I learned in my 75 years upon this wor- in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. On this Martin Luther King weekend, we remember that one of the great American voices was that of a slave who had been held in bondage for 20 years. Frederick Douglass jumped the train to freedom and the vintner appeared and took his years of slavery, his wounds of bondage, and transformed him into one of the great abolitionists and writers and orators of his time. A wine of character, nectar of the gods. And the good stuff comes from the hard stuff, as we learn in life. And at one point, Douglass wrote, If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. The struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be both. But it must be a struggle. So whether we are 16 or 60, the vintner makes his appearance on the mountaintops and in the valleys upon the good soil and the bad soil in the rain and in the sun collecting from the vines the fruit of our lives sometimes parched by the sun sometimes drowned by the rain but harvest them he does for ours is a vinified life and the rabbi from nazareth makes the best wine the one with character The one with a story
0: to tell.